Yes, we seek your direction this morning. Move mightily, I pray, according to your perfect will, according to our desperate need. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you. Just a uh, uh, couple of quick announcements before we begin. Uh, the 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 front door of the church was was left open uh, a couple days ago, I think it was. Uh, just a, a friendly reminder that if you do have a key and you you do come into the church, make sure that everything's locked up when you leave. Also, uh, much more importantly, we have a baptism this morning. Amen. Stephen is going to be baptized. His mom and grandmother are here. Praise God. And we're so, we're so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Amen. To celebrate that with him. Praise God. Uh, also, maybe good news. Uh, this is going to be the last lesson of our New Covenant series. Uh, so for better or for worse, uh, that's going to be concluded. <laughs> Uh, if Jesus would have continued preaching, uh, I would continue preaching, but he didn't. He closed it out with this, so as all things do, I guess, everything has to end, right? So we're going to conclude that. Uh, we'll move on to another one starting next week. Amen. Uh, but tonight, uh, today, today, we're going to talk about the wise and the foolish. Amen. Matthew 7, chapter 24 through 29 says this. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Amen. So here we see uh, Jesus kind of divides the people, indeed all of humanity, uh, who has ever been exposed to the gospel into two separate camps. The first is those who hear the word of God, understand it, and do what is commanded. The second camp is those who hear the word of God, understand it, and do not do that which is commanded. Jesus continues his exhortation as he has to obey God. We understand that uh, obedience is God's love language. God equates love with obedience. We need to submit ourselves to him to demonstrate our love for him. Amen. Most people and many Christians do not concern themselves with the next life. They're too wrapped up and too careful about this one. All of their actions, all of their decisions, all of their choices reflect a desire to do well in this life. And inherently, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we do want to do well in this life. Uh, those things that we lay our hands to, the Bible exhorts us to do with all of our might. We need to do all things as unto the Lord. And so uh, we don't want to do anything half-heartedly. We don't want to do anything slipshod. Uh, if we're going to do something, we need to do our best. But this is not our focus. This is not where we're, our, our primary interest lies. Our primary interest is in the kingdom of God. Our primary interest is in eternal things. We are new creatures. We have a regenerated nature within us. And that regenerated nature craves the eternal. Its heart seeks the things of God. And the more we feed that, the more we focus on that, the more effective we're going to be. The more desire we're going to have toward those things. If we focus on this life, if all we build for is this life, the temporal, the temporary, our focus is 
we can only focus on one thing. We can only have one primary task. Everything else is secondary, tertiary. Uh, but that thing that we focus on, that thing that we give ourselves to, that's where we're headed. That's where our eyes are. And so if we're building only for this life, we are going to discover frustration. We are going to discover uh, a life that is not, certainly not pleasing to the Lord, but also not effective. The life that God has planned for us is so much more than that. He created us for so much more than getting a good job, making a lot of money, and dying. We were created for much more than that. God created us for eternity. He created us for eternal things. It is the highest calling that anybody could ever receive, is to become a child of God. That is the greatest, highest calling that anybody could have. And after that, the things that God has planned for our lives are so awesome and so wondrous and so glorious. Anything else is a disappointment. Anything else that we give ourselves to is, it falls far short of what God has, His desires toward us, the plans that He has for us. Jesus likens obedience to the process of building a house. Now there are, there are some here that have actually built houses. And, uh, I've built parts of houses. I've seen houses built. And so, uh, it's not an easy task to do. There's a lot that goes into building a house. Uh, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to count the cost. Do I have enough money to start this thing? Do I have enough money to finish it? If I don't, then I should probably hold off or think of something smaller or whatever. But in our lives, before we start building anything, temporal or eternal, we should count the cost. The Bible tells us to do that. There is a cost to, to serving Jesus Christ. There is a cost to not serving Jesus Christ. And you've got to decide for yourself which one is, is the better deal. I have decided with my life that serving Jesus is so much better than not. Typically, when people build a house, they're going to have a blueprint or, or some kind of plan to show exactly what is being built, how things are laid out, where do the walls go, how high are they, what materials are we using, where's the foundation, etc., etc. We've got to build in the right order. We build the roof first, and then the walls, and then the basement. That's not going to work. I mean, you can, you can build the roof, I suppose. Just lay the rafters out and start laying OSB on top. <laughs> but then how are you going to get it on top? Yeah, that's going to be tough. So building in the right order is a good thing. We need to make sure that everything is in the right place. If the walls are in the wrong spot, especially the uh, the load-bearing walls. We need to make sure those are in the right spot. If they're not, we got a problem. We've got to labor, and we've got to work until the house is built. Finishing the work is going to require diligence, care, and discipline. you got to go in every day and build that house. You gotta keep building it. Because, and I've tried it, it doesn't finish itself. It never has. And by all indications is that it never will. So we've got to do the work. Finishing will require us to continue working when things get hard. When mistakes are made. We put a wall in where it's not supposed to. 
The wiring is wrong. The plumbing was run incorrectly. We got to go in and fix those things. We can't just leave them. They've had, they've got to be replaced or moved or torn down and, and rebuilt. That's how it works. Because if it's not built correctly, it's not going to work. Period. I lived in a house, uh, not in Eau Claire, but the, the one we lived in, in Galesville. It was, how do I say it? Not the best house in the world. It was not, uh, you talk about foundations. If this one had one, uh, we didn't know it. Because every winter, the house would rise up a little bit, and then it would come back down in the springtime. That happened every year. The stairs going upstairs were kind of like that. And you got dizzy until you got used to it. Once you got used to it, it was fine. But the first few times, you'd get a little bit dizzy. And the floors were sunken in the middle, every one of them. We put the we put a vacuum cleaner here and it roll all the way to the middle. And I was like, at some point this thing is going to come down. <laughs> I don't know how much longer we got here. But uh yeah, so it's important to build the house correctly. And if it's not if a if a mistake is made, we've got to fix it. We've got to take care of it. Only the finished product has any real value. If I have half a house sitting on a lot, that's worth nothing. I can't sell half a house. I can't live in half a house. And I can't get a loan, certainly, for half a house. No one's going to give me money for that. Only the full finished product is worth anything. Okay. Building on sand. We understand that all buildings are only as strong as their foundation. All we have to do is look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa to see a great example of no foundation. If they wouldn't have fixed that, it would have fallen by now. Building on sand is easy and it's quick, or easier. You just start building. You don't have to dig down. You don't have to lay footings. You don't have to... Dig down to bedrock. You don't have to do any of that. Just start building on the sand. Put some poles in. Uh, put a slab on and just start building. Those that despise work, discipline, hardness, that's going to seem like a pretty sweet deal. And they're going to look at those who are digging down to the bedrock, who are laying down footings as, why are you doing that? Why, why would you bother? My house is going to look exactly the same as yours. And they're right. It will look exactly the same. There are people that want to go to heaven. They want to do right, but not at the cost of complete obedience. Not at the cost of complete submission. Not at the cost of sacrifice or commitment. These people, Christians or non-Christians, we can find examples of both, they are not obedient to God's word, and because of this, they have no strength, no foundation. They'll build their hopes upon worldly prosperity and success. God is blessing my life. God's blessing me. Things are going good. He must approve. I can help so many people. I can, I can help people. I can, I can give them five dollars. I can give them ten dollars. And I'm so awesome. I'm so, I'm such a blessing. For some people, five dollars is a, is a big deal. 
But if God's blessing your life like this, probably not. Some depend on an external profession of religion, their reputation as a Christian to carry them through. Again, the house is going to look exactly the same initially. People can say the right things, do the right things, dress the right way, attend the right functions, but there's nothing in here. There's nothing in here. There's no foundation. A salvation of works that cannot withstand the honest scrutiny of the storm. I promise you, all structures are strong when they're not being tested. They're all strong. They all work. All worldviews work when everything is going great. All structures work. I, I mean, I can, I can literally build a house of cards and that will stand. That works. Until I put a fan on it. Then it's, then it's down. It's gone. Everything works until it's tested, until it's, it experiences stress. When we experience hard times in our lives, when we experience stress, when we experience situations we don't know how it's going to turn out or what we're going to do about it, it's in those times, church, that our foundation is so important. The two houses that look exactly the same now are starting to look way different. The house without a foundation is starting to crack. It's starting to shift. The house with a foundation is holding strong. It holds strong. Foundations are extremely important. The right foundation is extremely important. Building on the rock. When we build on a foundation, in early times we would dig down to bedrock, build it on that. Now we can just pour a nice footing, not have to worry about it. Just dig down below the, the frost line, pour a nice footing, we're good to go. But the structure is not going to shift and move around even though the ground around them does. Everything above the frost line is going to freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw. But our foundation is built below that, so it doesn't bother us. Our lives will not be affected by the shifting tides of human opinion, changing doctrines and worldviews, or cultural and societal upheavals. They will not be affected by these things. We'll, we'll know that they're happening. We'll understand what's going on. It still rubs up against us, but it doesn't affect our walk with God. It doesn't affect uh, how we view eternity. Because we're built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Our lives will not be affected by personal tragedy, temptations, betrayals, or anything that seeks to destroy our walks with God. These things are going to happen, whether you're living for God or not. People are going to stab you in the back. People are going to let you down. People are going to say things and do things that displease you. And you're going to do that to other people. Because we're people, and that's what people do. Sometimes they mean to hurt you. Oftentimes they don't. They don't even know. But it's going to happen to us nonetheless. When we're built on a strong foundation, those things do rub up against us. We feel it, but they don't affect us. We stay strong. The building stays solid. It doesn't shift. It doesn't move. Building on a solid foundation requires more work. You gotta start digging, excavating. You need to pour the footings. It can be hard to dig truths out of God's Word and apply them to our lives. 
It can be hard to examine ourselves in light of God's word and let God reveal things in our lives to us that need to go or things we're missing that need to come in. That can be a hard process, but it's one that we have to do. Because if we don't, if we just compare ourselves among ourselves, ah, brother so-and-so, he does this, that, and the other, and I don't, so I'm okay. Sister so-and-so, she's, she claims to be spiritual, but I know better. I really am spiritual. And God's blessing her, so I'm good to go. That does not work. It doesn't work. Who cares if God is blessing sister so-and-so? I hope God does bless sister so-and-so. I enjoy watching God bless his people. I really do. I think that's a good thing. Are they perfect when God blesses them? Absolutely not. Are you perfect when God blesses you? I hope everyone says no. I'm not perfect when God blesses me. Our standard is Jesus Christ. That's who we're trying to measure up to. He's our example. He's the standard. The Word of God is what we're going to be judged by in the last day. Not sister so-and-so. I'm not going to be judged against her. I'm going to be judged against the book. So that's what I need to measure up to. It doesn't matter if anybody else is or not. My foundation isn't brother so-and-so. My foundation is the Word of God. It's Jesus Christ. Acts 14 and 22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Sometimes that tribulation is self-inflicted because we are not willing to conform to Scripture. Okay, that's something we have to face. Sometimes bad things happen to me because I'm doing stupid things. When I was a kid and I disobeyed my parents that one time, I got a, I got a consequence for it. And it was not a fun consequence. I got my backside tanned. That's how we did kids back in the day. That's how my parents did kids. I got a bad consequence. That wasn't my parents' fault. That wasn't society's fault. That wasn't the government's fault. That was my fault. I knew better, and I chose to disobey anyway, because I wanted to. I didn't want to follow the rule. I wanted to do this thing. So I did, and I paid the price for it. That's on me. Sometimes, though, that tribulation comes because we are conforming to Scripture. When I first got into church, can't remember if I told this story or not, but I'll tell it again if I have. I was excited, like new converts are. I wanted to tell my family about what happened to me. And I told my dad, and I unloaded everything. Just blah. All at once. My German Lutheran dad. And he listened. Let me finish. And when I was done, he told me, Son, leave the evangelizing to Billy Graham, will you? <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean, it's a funny story now, and I laugh about it, but that broke my heart. That broke my heart that day. And uh, that tribulation came because I was trying, to the best of my knowledge at that time, to obey Scripture, to live for God. And uh, that's going to happen with us 
from time to time. We will experience hard times because we're serving Jesus Christ. People overseas, when they decide to give their lives to Jesus Christ, in some countries, that's a death warrant. They could just as easily, very easily, say no to God and keep living a very good life. But because they say yes, this is an extreme example for us in the United States, but you understand what I'm saying. When they say yes, they could be killed tomorrow. As soon as the government finds out, as soon as the new regime finds out, as soon as the Muslims find out, they could die. For no other reason than they're serving Jesus Christ now. They are trying to conform their lives to Scripture. And so sometimes tribulation comes to us because we're serving God. But again, going back to counting the cost, is that cost worth it? I say absolutely. The cost I was paying without serving God was much higher. It was much higher. Even in this, though, we're on the rock of Jesus Christ. We have that solid foundation. And when those things come against us, when we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God, we have a rock to stand on. Before, when tribulation came my way, I was on my own. I had the solid rock of Rob Becker to stand on. Not a very solid rock. Not a very solid rock at all. The epitome of sinking sand. But when I stand on Jesus Christ, I am immovable. I cannot be moved when I trust in Him. Building on the sure foundation assures us that we are the real deal. Okay. When I'm built on something else and I profess to be a Christian, I'm not a Christian. That's as plain as I can say it. If I'm not built on the Word of God, if I am not conforming my life to Scripture, I'm sorry, I'm not a Christian. I may want to be a Christian. I may want to serve Jesus Christ, but I'm not serving Jesus Christ. I am not conforming to Scripture. I'm not a Christian. Christian means like Jesus. What I am is a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Everybody will condemn the Christian for being a hypocrite, right? That's the first thing that comes out of people's mouths. Well, it's true enough, unfortunately, where it's a good enough argument. Don't be a hypocrite. To the extent of your knowledge and gain more knowledge. Gain more knowledge every day. Buy the truth and sell it not. Conform yourself to to Scripture. Conform your lives to Scripture. We will be effective for the kingdom of God when we're founded on God's Word and only then. If I'm founded on anything else, I cannot do things for, for Jesus Christ. I can't work the way He wants me to work. I can't do the things he wants me to do because I'm founded on some other philosophy, some other worldview, some other belief system that will not stand, that has no power to save. At some point, our houses are going to be tested. Houses are built primarily for one thing, shelter. That's what houses are built for. Now, they're, they're quite a bit more today, certainly in the United States. Uh, and again, nothing wrong with that, but primarily they serve as shelter. That's why we put a roof on it. I was talking with my wife a little bit ago, wondering if before the flood, they built houses with no roofs, just walls. They probably still did because they wanted security as well. But anyway, 
They're built because we want to be sheltered from the elements. When it's really hot, I want a nice cool place to go to. When it's really cold, more importantly, I want a nice warm place to go to. When it's raining, I want to come out of the rain. The storms don't care, though, if you have shelter or not. They don't care if you've built properly or not. They just come. They are oblivious to your shelter. And we live in a fearful, fallen world, and storms come. Sometimes frequently. They come to everybody. They come to you, they come to me. And those storms are agnostic in that they couldn't care less about your shelter, whether it's good or bad, whether it exists at all. They're going to come anyway. They're going to come if you're not even there. They'll come into a field with no one there. They just come. So will your religion, your belief system, your faith, your house stand when you need it to? Will it stand? If your foundation is weak or non-existent, your house will fail you when you need it most. I don't need it right now. It's nice outside. I don't need shelter. I can, I can stay outside all day long and be just fine. If it were 40 below out and windy, I'd probably need some shelter. But today, it's good. I don't need any shelter. I can stay outside all day long and be just fine. But when I do need it, I need it now. A tornado comes or a storm comes, a huge thunderstorm. I don't want to be caught outside now. I want to get inside where I'm safe, where I can stay dry. If it fails, then. I have no recourse. I have no recourse at that point. Where I expected my belief system to keep me in a difficult situation, it couldn't. And it fell. It failed me. Have you ever seen someone when their entire worldview collapses around them? Everything they thought was true, they find out to be false. Everything they've invested their lives in crumbles around them. That is devastating. In more ways than one. Not just emotionally. They get physically sick. They get disoriented. They don't know what's, what's right and what's wrong. The thing that they trusted in failed them. The storm proved more powerful than your house. It wasn't built to shelter you from the storm and it couldn't. It failed. It was built to look good. And it was good before the storm came. But when the storm came, it failed. When the tests came, it could not pass. Now, because the storm found out the weakness of your belief system, your house, you are completely exposed to the elements. You are now entirely unprotected. The thing fell down around you, and now you're completely exposed to the storm. What are you going to do now? You have no protection from that anymore. And building a new house takes time, effort, planning. You can't just throw up a shelter in the middle of the storm. It just doesn't work that way. You can't just build a new one really quick. You are exposed. You are unprotected. So Jesus compares uh, hearing and obeying the word of God to building a house whether it's built on a solid foundation or whether it's built on sand. He calls those that built on the rock wise. He built those that, he, he called those that built on the sand foolish. 
Now, again, he's not being derogatory or he's not name-calling here. Foolish simply means not obeying Scripture, not obeying the, the, the Word of God. So after he concludes his sermon, the Bible says the people were astonished. They were astonished. But they weren't all obedient. It is possible for people to hear good preaching. Someone's preaching out of the, the Word of God. It's good preaching. And yet to remain in ignorance and unbelief. To be astonished and yet not sanctified. We can hear the Word but not do it. We can understand what's being said, but not apply it to our lives. It's good to hear the Word of God. It's good to understand the Word of God. But if we don't do something with it, it is a complete waste of time. You are gaining no benefit by just hearing the Word of God. Not everyone that heard this sermon followed Jesus. We see later on in Scripture that they all left, except the twelve. Don't just be astonished. Be obedient. Be obedient to Scripture. God blesses obedience. God blesses submission to him. Jesus spoke with authority. The Pharisees preached, again, without any life or force, as a schoolboy reciting his lessons. Brother McGinnis was talking about uh, uh, history in high school, where you have to... Memorize names and dates, and this king lived during this time period, and blah, blah, blah. And you got to memorize that and then recite it back or put it on a piece of paper. I don't know what they do today, but uh, but when I'm reciting that information back to the teacher, I'm not really speaking with authority. At best, I'm speaking with somebody else's authority. But they don't have any authority either. They weren't there. The people writing the history books weren't there in the, the 15th century. When King Henry VIII was on the throne... If nobody knows for sure, then I'm right by default. <laughs> I think that's right. I reserve the right to be wrong. <clears throat> but so on and so forth. People write about ancient Rome. They can't speak with authority. They can speak with the, with the information we have. Archaeological ex expeditions and, and, you know, all of these things. Other people's writings from different time periods. But I wasn't there. I don't know. Probably. But I don't know for sure. They could be getting something entirely wrong, and I would have no idea. That's the best we can do. Jesus teaches and preaches with authority. He teaches as a judge giving his, his sentence, his charge. His lessons were law. His word was a word of command. And through Jesus Christ, we have the same authority to teach the word of God. When we teach a Bible study, when we teach scripture, we can teach with authority. We don't have to be mealy-mouthed about it. We don't have to be wishy-washy and apologetic. We can teach with authority, not ignorantly, not arrogantly, 
but boldly, with authority, with the desire to see someone come to salvation. We ought to speak the word of God with authority. When we pray, it ought to be with authority. Not because we have any, but because Jesus himself delegated his authority to us. We represent him. He taught with authority. We ought to teach with authority. He prayed with authority. We ought to pray with authority. We represent Jesus Christ who has all power and all authority. We're handling the very word of God, which is the highest thing in all of creation. Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now we understand that Jesus is the word made flesh. But God's word is paramount. In all things and in every area of our lives, we must submit ourselves to God's word. We've got to. And again, please understand. The absolute necessity of conforming our lives to Scripture. We have got to get to the place where we willingly, gladly do that. It's a relationship. When we have a close walk with God, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're able to trust Him. We don't trust people we don't know. We may trust the position, we may may trust the relationship they have with someone else. Well, so-and-so trusts him, and I trust him, so I'll give him a shot. But I'm not going to trust him until I build a relationship. You guys get a new pastor, for example. I appreciate the fact that you trust the office and that you respect the office. That's something we ought to do. But the person, it's going to take time to trust me, to build a relationship with me, to get to know and, and, and build that trust. That's, that's just, it's how it works. It's how it has to work. And so, it works the same with Jesus Christ. We need to build a relationship with Him, because if we don't, we're not going to trust Him. We can't. We ought to. He's God. But in our heart of hearts, we're not going to until we build a relationship with Him through prayer, through studying the Word of God, getting to know His character. I loved God the very first time I came into a Pentecostal service. I loved what I felt. I loved what He did for me that day. But I couldn't trust Him with any of anything that I was going through. It didn't even occur to me to bring these things to him because I was used to dealing with everything myself. As time progressed and I, and I began to, to build a prayer life and a relationship, then it started occurring to me, hey, I can give these to him. I can ask for help. And when I did, God so graciously came in and he did exactly that. He helped. Our trust in Jesus Christ is predicated on a relationship. When we have that relationship and that trust built, then when we read something in the Word of God, we read a promise, we read a scripture, then we can boldly apply it. Not because we're good, not because we're, we're, we're holy or we've earned it, but because we know the character of God. We know that when he says something, he's going to do it. And so we can boldly claim those promises. 
Getting back to our, our message today. When God says we need to conform to the word of God. When God says we need to obey him. We understand why. Not because he's, he's power hungry. Not because he's an ogre and, and he wants to domineer over us. Again, he doesn't need to be power hungry. He has all the power. He has all the authority. There's, there's nothing more he can get. And quite frankly, this, this whole thing where he's, he's waiting for an opportunity to punish us, if I can be perfectly frank, you're not worth his time. If that's what you believe about God, you're not worth his time. I'm not worth his time. He's got much bigger things to concern himself with than, than waiting for an opportunity to get me. A speck of dust. A ball of lint. That's not who God is at all. God loves you. You are the apple of his eye. You are his focus. You mean everything to him. He suffered on a cross and died for you. Okay? He died for you. He loves you. He created you with love. He created you with purpose. He created you with, with a specific direction in mind. You are not an accident. I don't care how you came into the world. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. God's purpose. And God knows what's best for, for his people. He knows what's best for us. He created us in love. He suffered on a cross and died so that he could purchase us back from the bondage of sin so that he could have a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with us. So when he tells us, you need to conform to my word, you need to conform to my character, the reason for that is he wants the very best for us. The reason for that is reasons based in love and compassion and mercy. Our lives need to conform to Scripture because without, without conforming to Scripture, our lives are a train wreck. When we don't conform to Scripture, that means we're doing things on our own. We saw how that worked for Adam and Eve. I know how that worked for me before I came to God. And so in this, I guess I can speak with some authority. Don't. Follow Jesus. Conform to Scripture. Because the alternative is a disaster. I can tell you that firsthand. It's a disaster. Our belief system, our ideas about reality, morality, etc., they need to come from Scripture, from God's Word. Our ideas of right and wrong. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We can, I guess. He's given us the ability to... Choose to believe whatever we want. But we cannot know right and wrong ourselves. We think we do. We think we know the right way to go. But we don't. Right and wrong, good and evil have to be revealed to us through the Word of God. This world is more moral than I've ever seen it. Talk about legislating morality. But whose morality are they legislating? Not God's. Someone else's. Someone else's. We need to understand that the best thing for us is to give ourselves to the plan of God, to the Word of God, and follow Him. Our methods and procedures, as a church, as families, as individuals, need to come from it. They need to come from Scripture. 
at least in principle. If something we're doing as a church is not moving us toward the salvation of the lost or the perfection of the saints, then we're spinning our wheels. We're wasting valuable resources. That's As a church, that's what we are called to do. We are called to save the lost, to perfect the saints. We don't save. God saves. You understand what I'm saying. That's why we're here. If what we're doing doesn't somehow move us toward that, that, end, that end game, that goal, then we need, we need to be focusing somewhere else. We need to conform to Scripture in every area. We need to conform to Scripture. In conclusion, when who we are and what we believe and what we're doing are built upon and conformed to God's living word, we are built upon the foundation Christ has laid for us. It's a solid, immovable foundation that can withstand any storm, any disaster, any hurt, any disappointment, and any attack. It is the only shelter we need. And it's the only shelter that will work. Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. If you're looking for something solid, something that will not change, something that will never let you down when you need it the most. It's God's Word. When in doubt, we can always find strength, stability, assurance, and direction in God's Word. Amen. Let's all stand. I thank God that he has revealed truth to us. His truth. It's an objective, external truth. It's true whether I believe it or not. It's true whether I even hear it or not. It was true before I was born. And should the Lord tarry, it will be true after I'm gone. Amen. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for these precious truths that you have given unto us. Thank you, Lord, for the, the very word of God that you have entrusted to us. Help us, I pray, to study it out and to conform ourselves to it. Help us to move ever closer to you. Help us to become more like you each and every day. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we move forward in the plan of God, we would continue to trust in you. Our hope, our faith, our confidence would be in the Lord our God and in you only. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray, according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name we pray.